Well, good morning. My name's Dean Hoffman, and I've been with Alpine for a long time, um, since the, the beginning, and I've kind of been in the finance area, but I'm one of the, the pastors, and one of the things I'd like to uh, communicate to you this morning is I just appreciate your support, your financial support over the years. Leighton has always been a leader in that category, and so we just want to thank you and appreciate you for that. I also want to communicate to you that, you know, you have a pastor that loves you. Um, and it's, it's nice to um, be able to communicate that to you. Um, so I don't know why I'm so emotional about that, but um, he's a nice guy. Um, and <laughs> he really does care about you. And you don't always see that. Um, that's not something that is real apparent all the time, but just being around John and just his heart for you and his compassion for you, um, he really does love you. And so I wanted to pass that along to you this morning. So we're starting a new series, uh, Cultural Wars, as you see in front of us, and um, it's in First Peter, and um, this first slide looks a lot like, you know, the Star Wars slide, right? Um, and so how many of you are force freaks? Or do you, oh, there's some force freaks in here. So some of you don't even know what that means, but it basically means you're a fanatic about Star Wars. And I am not a fanatic about Star Wars. It's just, I've watched it, but I'm surrounded by people that, are these force freaks. So my wife is a Star Wars fan. My son is a complete force freak. He could tell you anything about any of the movies. In fact, last night we were watching the last one of Boba Fett, um, which Mandalorian was before that. And they sit there, I'm watching the show, and they're talking about how this is associated to this movie, and it's like, I have no clue what you're talking about. And it's so bad at my house that when I go to get a t-shirt out of my drawer, this is what I get. <laughs> this, this, is, this is, that's all I have in my drawer is these things. So anyways... Um, I thought it might be uh, fun real quick to kind of do a little uh, survey or, or some questions on Star Wars and test your knowledge a little bit about that. So we're going to go through this really quick. There's just a couple. How many different colors lightsabers can you find throughout the Star, use, Star Wars universe? The answer is nine. So most people think eight. I guess there's this black one at the, I don't know what it is, but nine. <laughs> How were stormtroopers recruited in the early days of the empire? From the ranks of the clones. What two characters, you should get this one. What two characters appeared in every Star Wars movie? Yeah, there you go. Got that one? I think I know what those are. What specific visual aesthetic do Jedi and Sith have in common? They have the robe-type outfit, sometimes with a hood. 
And the last one probably all should get, who wore a suit that served as a life support system and conveyed intimidation and control? That would be our friend, Darth Vader. So, I don't know, five out of five? Any of you get five out of five? Um, it's kind of fun to do that, but in reality, there's nothing really too fun about the cultural war that we find ourselves in, and that's more than real. Our knowledge about this war is much more um, something that we need to take consideration on. And I have a couple of questions in regards to that war also, so let's see how we do with this survey. Uh, the name of those that follow Christ on the earth temporarily whose home is elsewhere. We're going to look at this in 1 Peter 1.1, depending on your translation. Aliens. The one we formerly walked with according to the course of this world. The prince of the power of the air. Spiritual forces of wickedness the ruler of this world. Those who were sent to minister to render service to those that follow Christ. Angels. The one who empowers us to live for Christ. The Holy Spirit. The one who defeated death and set captives free. Goes by a lot of names. We know him as Jesus, but he also goes by the Lamb of God, the Lion of Judah. And Revelations describes Christ as the one coming on a white horse, eyes of flame of fire, and upon his head are many diadems, clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and from his mouth comes a sharp sword, name written on his robe and thigh, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. I truly believe that the reason that we are so kind of directed towards Star Wars and other science fiction movies is that we are drawn to this unseen realm. We know it exists. In fact, Peter, in verse 8 of the first chapter here, talks a little bit about that and focuses on it, and he says that we love the one that we've never seen, and even though that we've never seen him, we still believe in him. The unseen world, with all of these players that I just mentioned, is why we have a cultural war. It sets those that are Christ followers, aliens, temporary residents, apart from those that are of this world. That, are, that walk in dark, darkness, that are still at enmity with God, that still are under the rule of the one that rules this world, who for thousands of years, thousands of years has promoted a culture and a worldview that opposes God's truth. And this shouldn't come as a surprise to us. It really shouldn't. Um, we know that this is true, and we should know that also we should really understand that who our enemy is. Is it really the individual that stands at this corner and screams at us and opposes us, that if it wasn't by the grace of God, that would be us? Or is it the one 
of old, who is the deceiver and who blinds the eyes of others. God's truth is always in opposition to the culture of the day. This is true throughout all of history. It looks different at different places and at different times. And in America, we've seen a little bit of shift, and I think you saw this last week on a a video kind of introducing the cultural wars. I'm not going to go through this whole graph of the state of the church, but if you look at the practicing Christian, it went from 45% in 2000 to 25% in 2020. A couple things about that. Even back in 2020, it was only 45%. There's a big change that happened in 2012. A lot of that has to do with probably social media, the iPhone, things that took place around then. Um, You could see what an impact that has had on us. And I think there are some Christians that really struggle with this. Because they've always seen America as a Christian culture that stands for God's truth. Well, whether that's accurate or not, we find ourselves in a war with a culture that is increasingly becoming more and more secular. So in this series, we will be focusing on strategies for living a life within this culture as aliens are as temporary residents. So before we look at that, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just um, thank you for your word. We thank you for all that you do for us. Um, Lord, we just ask that as we start this series and we look into 1 Peter, that um, you will speak to us. And Lord, that you will transform us and you will have something that uh, we leave here with today. So we pray for that in Jesus' name, amen. So if you have your Bibles um, or an app, uh, we'll be spending most of our time in 1 Peter chapter 1 today, and we're going to be looking at how we deal with trials that occur because of this cultural war. And so the first thing we learn about trials is that they are inevitable, 1 Peter 1.6 says, So be truly glad there is a wonderful joy ahead, even though you must endure many trials for a little while. Well, we'll get to why we should be glad in a, a few minutes, but if you stand up for God's truth and oppose today's world's view, you will face trials. You will be opposed. You will be misunderstood. You will be isolated. You will be shunned. You will be mocked. And maybe even the new word, I guess, is marginalized, right? Chapter 1 of 1 Peter, Peter is actually talking to a group of Christians in different locations in modern-day Turkey who were just beginning to experience this. And in the months and the years that were going to come, they were going to actually see that increase to a point of persecution 
actually ending in Peter's death. History is full of examples of those who have been shunned, mocked, oppressed for standing up for God's truth in a culture that promoted the exact opposite. We can go all the way back to the a book of Genesis, and we can look at the, the character of uh, Lot, who the Bible says, you know, was in a godless culture. And Peter, actually, in the second book of Peter, says that Lot was oppressed and that his righteous soul was being tormented day after day because of the lawless deeds that were around him. Jeremiah um, ask God, why in the world am I being a laughingstock? That's what he said. He said, God, why? For 23 years, he had the same message. And he asked God, why am I? And the culture wasn't even the, the culture, culture of the day. It was just the, the religious leaders of the day that opposed him. And he was mocked. If we go today's world um, and move a little long uh, forward, we could see the same thing with other individuals. Uh, I think of Wilbur, Wilberforce, who was a young man, found himself committed to the Lord, found himself in a situation where there was affluency in politics and it didn't agree with his beliefs or practices, and yet he was able to overcome that culture and help in slavery. And also, uh, kind of an interesting note, he led a reformation um, also, and it included the Society for the Suppression of Vice. How about that? Many, many people, Corey Tenboom and her family is another example of individuals that stood up for God's truth in an evil culture that was sending Jews to concentration camps and she ended up in the same location. When we stand up and live for God's truth, we will have trials. We will be oppressed. We may not get that promotion. It may cost us being part of a social group that we'd like to be part of may cost you your reputation. 1 Peter 4.14 says, 4, says, If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory of God rests upon you. Trials are inevitable. They will happen. It almost seems like they should happen, right? The next thing we learn about trials is they test your faith. 1 Peter 1.7 says, These trials will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold, though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. When you're ostracized and when you're classified and you don't like it, you know, it's not a nice way in which you're being classified and you don't even like to be associated with those words, it may cause you to ask the question, 
okay, if I'm going to pay this price, if this is going to cost me, do I really believe that Jesus is my Lord? Do I really believe that he died and rose again? Do I really believe that he is the way and he is the only way? Don't be surprised or don't be shocked. Peter's saying the same thing. Don't be surprised if that happens, if you question that. He compares it to our faith being like gold that's tested by fire. When gold is tested by fire and it's heated up, what happens is that all of the impurities are burned away from that gold until you have pure gold. It's the same way when trials make us question our faith. When that happens, it burns away all the impurities, all the things that really aren't part of what should be our faith. It should mature us in Christ. You know, we don't want to be the ones that Jesus speaks about in Matthew 13 on the parable of the sower, where the individual seeds the sow on the rocky ground. And on that rocky ground, the seed is sown, and um, it immediately the person receives the truth joyfully, but then it's only temporary because there's no roots that are grown. And when affliction and persecution arises because of the word, they fall away. The writer of the book of Hebrews in discussing the perils of falling away in Hebrews chapter 6, says that he believes and convinced that there are better things concerning those Christians he was writing to and things that accompany salvation. Let's not forget where our faith comes from. And let's go to First uh, Peter verse 2 to look at where our faith really comes from. God the Father knew you and chose you long ago. And his spirit has made you holy. As a result, you have obeyed him and have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. We just got through a series on the Trinity. Do you see the Trinity in your faith? May God give you more and more grace and peace. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by his great mercy that we have been born again because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Now we live with great expectation and we have a priceless inheritance, an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. And through your faith, God is protecting you by his power until you receive salvation which is ready to be revealed on the last day for all to see. So be truly glad. It's not by our power that we maintain that faith. It is by the power of the living God that we have that faith. And that is what we could be glad about. One more thing on that. 1 Peter 1.7 when we read that already, but it doesn't say if your faith remains strong. It says when your faith remains strong. Third, 
Trials take preparation. 1 Peter 1.13. So prepare your minds for action and exercise self-control. Put all your hope in the gracious salvation that will come to you when Christ Jesus is revealed to the world. I find it ironic that our current secular culture has a strong emphasis on pushing for our amusement. The word amuse is a 15th century French word that literally means to divert the attention. And the Greek word amusos actually literally means without thinking. Peter calls us to the exact opposite. He says, think. And just not think, but make sure you act on that thinking. If our culture is zoned in trying to attempt to concentrate on social media, you take your phone and figure out how much time. I, I, the, the phone tells you how much time you spend on it, right? So you can kind of know how much time you're spending on social media. So if the culture is zoned in on having us focus on amusement on social media, don't you think it would be a good idea to stop and think and maybe act on zoning in on spending some time in God's word? Don't you think if the culture is zoned in on all of this amusement that's provided to us and none of it in and of itself may be bad, but if we're only focused on all of those things, don't you think it would be good to stop and think that maybe you should get involved with a group of individuals that are Christians to fellowship together, to pray together? Why do you think the writer of Hebrews tells us not to forsake our assembling together? And I really don't think he was talking about a, a church setting like this. I think he was talking more about a small setting. The answer is so that you don't end up not being conformed to this world, that you hold fast to the confession of your faith. Romans 12:2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by what? by the renewing of your mind. Goes on and it says, exercise self-control. I like another translation. It says, keep sober in spirit. In other words, don't be sedated. Don't be under the influence of the culture of the day. What does First Peter, what does Peter say later in First Peter? He says, um, hello, um, you might want to be alert because there's an adversary, the devil, that's seeking to devour you, that's seeking to destroy your faith. And he'll use those trials to do so. Are we awake? Third thing it says is that 
We are to put our hope as we prepare in trials. Put your hope in the gracious salvation that will come to you when Christ Jesus is revealed to the world. If you put your hope in a country, if you put your hope in your finances, if you put your hope in your health, if you put your hope in a person, you're going to have some casualty as it relates to your faith. There's a reason we're to put our hope in salvation because it's the only thing that is for sure. Amen? Trials lure you backward. 1 Peter 1.14, so you must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. You didn't know any better then. It's very rare in my 50 years of being a Christian to actually see somebody jump up and down, uh, jump up and, down and celebrate when they're being mocked or oppressed that's just, not, that's just not what happens. Usually what happens is it turns us back to the way we used to behave. It reminds me of being on a diet. You know, when you're on a diet, everything's going great, and then one day, you're just having a bad day, and there's that big chocolate cake that you see over here, and you know it's not good for you, but you know you want it, and you eat it. And there's even a name for that, right? It's called comfort food, right? We go back to our comfort food. It's probably a comfort sin we go back to when trials come. We need to be careful about that. Trials also cause us to look at our own interests, and when we begin to look at our own interests, we don't look at others, and we don't serve others. And when the, the moment we look inward, we become selfish. And when we become selfish, it just means that we want what we want. And so if there's a trial, then that means, hey, if that's going to happen to me, then I'm going to get what I want. Trials also provide justification for behavior. Sometimes we just say, you know what? I didn't ask for this trial. This is more than I wanted. I'm just going to go back to what I had before. Paul in Philippians says, well, he, he just doesn't say, he calls us to press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call to God in Christ Jesus and to keep living to the same standard that we've attained rather than those that end is in destruction and God is their appetite and glory is their shame. We're called to move forward and not to turn back. 1 Peter 1.15.16 says, But now you must be holy in everything you do, just as God who chose you is holy. For the scriptures say, you must be holy because I am holy. 
The last thing about trials we can learn today is that they are temporary. Now, I'm not saying that they're short, um, because that wouldn't be true. Truth is that this side of heaven, you're going to have trials. And it may be one trial after another trial. If you stand for God's truth, it could be that you have one trial after another. But the point here is that even if you have one trial after another trial, those trials are only going to last how long? 90 years? If you're lucky? And let's say you weren't a Christian when you were born, right? So it's probably less than that. So let's just say 75 to 80 years. Or compare that to eternity. No comparison. In that way, they are temporary. Peter, in the end of this chapter, whoops. Oh, I forgot to show that one. That's okay. He says, For you have been born again, but not to a life that will quickly end. Your new life will last forever because it comes from the eternal living word of God. Temporary. Not only is there no comparison with the time of trials, but there's no comparison as it relates to quality. Probably the, one of my favorite verses in all of Scripture is Romans 8.18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time, they're not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. No comparison. You know, there's three types of individuals here today. There are those of you that are not in the light. That find themselves walking in darkness. That are not free and that need the truth and the light of God's love. There are some of you here today that are in the light, but the trials have kind of knocked you down. Either you've gone a little bit backwards, you feel defeated, you feel unprepared. And then there's a third group of you here today that are standing up for God's truth enduring those trials. Which one are you? Let's bow. If any of you are in that first group, It's time to come home to glory. It's time to 
be in the light. It's time to receive God's love for you. And if that's you today, I'd like you to just quickly raise your hand and say, yes, that's me. I want to be in the light. I want to be in God's light. And then there's those of you that are in that second group. Are you ready to get back in the game? And if that's you, I'd like you to raise your hand. And then there's those group of you that are standing up for God's truth, are enduring trials, but maybe the message today is that you're fighting the wrong enemy and that you're doing it with some hate for some people rather than in love and truth. Maybe you need to fight the right enemy. And if that is you, I would ask that you'd raise your hand. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you for your word. And Lord, we know that the trials we face today will probably be even greater in the days ahead. And Lord, we just ask for your grace and your mercy. Lord, we just ask, well, we want to thank you for the faith that you've given us. We praise you for that. We thank you for that. We just ask that you would help us to stand firm each and every day and that our light might shine for those that are all around us. We ask for these things in Jesus' name. Amen.